my name is Tim Wheaton. I'm the host of the Daddy Unscripted podcast. No, it's not just me talking with dads about being dads, and it's not just for dads, that's for sure. What it is, is a varied spectrum of inspiring stories and emotional tales from a wide range of guests that come from the world of sports, of music, and even the guy that lives down the street from you. Not that guy, but the other guy. Yeah, that one. I can pretty much guarantee you're going to get something out of every episode. So come check out the Daddy Unscripted podcast. I'm Ben Sawyer, and this is The Road to Now. Today's episode is an interview with a uh, a self-made man, Tim Mossberger, who is the archivist for the Avett Brothers, a really remarkable guy who has built this incredible collection of just physical material from the Avett's past, pictures. Um, He knows everything about the lyrics to the band, and, you know, Bob is in the band and we talk about the band sometimes the same way we talk about everything else we do. And certainly I'm a big fan of the band. Uh, I've loved those guys for a long time, but this was a perfect opportunity for us to bring in uh, our academic side, our historian side uh, to the discussion of the band, because Tim has actually developed this amazing structure of, of sorting information and finding information, which is remarkable. And my wife, Dr. Kelly Kolar, who is an archivist and associate professor of history at MTSU, she teaches students how to establish archives. Uh, just seeing them talk when we met, uh, all met together this past December, was remarkable how much Tim has learned on his own. And so if you're interested in the Avid Brothers, which I figure a lot of you guys are, and uh, that's a good thing, um, or you're just interested in how do you sort all this data or if any of you have ever met Tim, which I think a lot of you have, um, you, you get into his process. And it really is a labor of love and dedication. And Tim has created something very special. So we hope you enjoyed this conversation with him. It's fun listening to him talk with Bob about things that Tim, as a scholar here uh, on the other end of Bob's life, um, it was fun for me to listen to them discuss things from the past and just how much Tim knew. Uh, really remarkable. Before we cut into the interview, I just want to give you an update on our live show schedule. Uh, You've heard us talk about some of them, but we just announced a few since the last episode. So we've got some great shows coming up Saturday, April 18th. We'll be at the Nashville comedy festival at TPAC's Polk theater. Our guests are going to be Tom Shadiak and Langhorn slim. That's a 4 PM show. It's going to be a blast right here in my hometown of Nashville. So check that out. Uh, Friday, June 12th, we're going to be in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at city winery, and if any of you guys are Avid Brothers fans, you might be planning to go to the show the next day for the Avid Brothers at the TD Pavilion at the Man. Well, we're doing a show the day before that on Friday night. So get tickets to see our show and get tickets to see the Avid Brothers show. I just looked there. I don't think there are many left. So, uh, you know, grab them both at the same time. Have a good weekend in Philly. Tuesday, June 16th, we're going to be at the Minneapolis Comedy Festival at the Pantages Theater. Um, that's a Tuesday night show, as we said before. That's going to be a lot of fun. A great lineup with a lot of great comics there. And finally, Saturday, June 27th, we're going to be at Freight and Harbor in Berkeley, California. And that is, if you're looking at your calendars, that's the weekend of the premiere of the new Avett Brothers musical, Swept Away. So it's going to be a whole fun weekend. We're going to have this planned as a part of a bigger, uh, exciting weekend with the announcement of that. It's a 1 p.m. show, so if you came in Friday night and you're planning on heading out Saturday afternoon, stick around. Come see us at the Freight and Harbor. So that's our show lineup. Uh, for all the details, you can go to our website, 
theroadtonow.com and click on the live event tab at the top of the page that has all of our events. We're always announcing more and we have more in the works. And thank you guys for coming to the first ones, making them such incredible successes so that we get to do more of them. You guys are awesome. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great interview with the Avid Archivist, Tim Mossberger. Thanks. Tim Mossberger, welcome to The Road to Now. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tim, you know, I know that Ben wants to ask you a lot of like scientific questions about the art of archiving because his wife is one of the (laughs) country's foremost experts on the archival process. And archival and history. archival history, but I, I want I wanted to have you on here so you could tell me what the hell I've been doing for the past twenty years. <laughs> well, I'd say you know you've been entertaining and bringing together lots of people with your music. That's what I'd say you've been well, doing that, that, for twenty years. That, that's good to know because there's only two people I could really ask and get an answer. You or Dane Honeycutt. So I figured. I would ask you today. Well, Tim, really, we do appreciate you being here. And I just want to say it is the work that you do is incredible um, because it must take up so much time. You have collected uh, photos and and things that, that uh, again, have uh, sparked memories of my past. And, you know, things that I would imagine are pretty difficult to get your hands on. Like, uh, for example, I saw one recently, photos from Malaprops in Asheville. I mean, that's, you're talking about one of the, I think one of the 10 first shows we played. Yeah, um, yeah go ahead. And also I'll say that there's a big thing on that place. That's also the first place I've ever seen the Avid Brothers name used a show at that place in June of okay. 2001. So- so if I go back into, and I should have dug them out for our conversation, but I have these date books from, you know, I went to, I was going to Winthrop University when we started playing together. And so in these date books, I have like, and I believe it starts, they start in March or April of uh, 2001. And it's a uh, Nemo back porch project. Yeah. Cause that's what I have. I know that I have newspaper clippings from, I know they played Greenville to Java cafe on June 1st. And then they do their trip across the country that's in May at last when they go to the Grand Canyon, Scott's mm-hmm. and the station wagon, they go to California, to Seattle, and then back home. And then and the, and June 1st, they're still using Nemo, you know, either Nemo back course project or sometimes Nemo, old time Nemo, they refer to it as depending on what I've seen in the newspaper. And then that the first time there's a show on June 28th in Nashville, that's the first for, um, it's for, a, it's a, for opening for like a writer, like a book. You know, he's reading his book and everything, and they perform. It's listed as the Avid Brothers. It's the first time I've ever seen it on that show. And, that, and, wait, and what year was this again? This 2001. June, yeah. That show is June 28th, 2001. So that, that time period, for me, I didn't have – so I'm just coming in the mix with them, and I didn't have the shows east of Raleigh. They had another guy, and I don't know if the guy – you know, always play when they had this other bass player, yeah, Tim, a friend Knopf of, is, Tim Knopf, who's yeah. a great guy and incredible artist, incredible sculptor, as I recall, really sweet guy. And he, they even got him an upright bass for him. They purchased or gave him one. He didn't, he just didn't really want to do it. 
But I remember them telling me early on, well, Tim plays these shows east of 40 <laughs> or east of <laughs> east of 95. You play everything west of 95, which was kind of funny. Um, yeah. But and I remember we were, you know, practicing a good bit before they went on that trip, that cross country trip. And then after that, we got a little more serious. Let me take this back. All right, as someone who was living adjunct uh, or adjacent to all of this. Um, so Scott and Seth are playing in a band called Nemo, uh, which they, in which they played with, it was every, I mean, we all went to school together, except for a guy named John Toomey who played guitar. And then Kenny Graham was playing bass. Noah Warner was the drummer. And then they played for a while. And then, um, they broke up sometime in 2001. Uh, I can only remember that because I remember October 12th or 10th would be the last show of the Nemo. Okay. I remember Noah coming home because me and Noah were roommates then and being like, so Nemo broke up. So like, I remember that. And then I remember shortly thereafter, uh, Scott and Seth were playing with John and they were playing some live music. So they were doing the acoustic stuff before the actual like full on Nemo band broke up. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they, the acoustic goes back to, I like one of the things I've done is go back to like in Greenville. Uh, you know, there was a local music magazine, like free magazine and i went through and i've been buying those and finding them and i found an interview with scott from 1997 in may and so and it's with before they changed to nemo it's when they were called level so Uh scott gives this interview and he talks about in there though wanting to start playing acoustic shows and listening to doc watson he doesn't have a banjo yet i don't think he at least he doesn't mention it but no because when when i started with them he was just kind of starting banjo. Yeah. So that was but, a newer thing. But they talk about playing acoustic show, like why he talks about wanting to play acoustic shows. So they actually, the earliest I know is they start, I know they start playing acoustic shows in 1998 and, but under the name sharp thing, which is a game Scott and Seth played when they were kids when they used to poke each other and try to make each other bleed in the backseat of the car or something like that. <laughs> as the story goes, Oh, the good old so days. they played shows under sharp thing for about a year or so. Then they go to using Nemo for both bands and then add the back porch project. So people know it's not a rock show. Like there's the rock band and then there's the acoustic show, but they wanted to get the Nemo name out there and always, you know, for both bands. What about the uh, Tuesday night music club? Have you oh, dug it, discovered anything about that? Uh, just them getting together, you know, because that was kind of part of the need, yeah. the, the beginning of all that yeah. too. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Well, so really, Tim, though, uh, the, the, how, what have you noticed with this archive, the process when you began to uh, undertake this? So obviously this is taking up a lot of your time, right? Your wife must love it that you do this. <laughs> well, first of all, my, you know, my wife is not, she likes the band. She's been to a bunch of shows, but she's, she supports it. But I also, it has taken a lot of time, but I try to use my time extremely efficiently. And it's mm-hmm. something I like Alfred, I'm a baseball fan, but this mm-hmm. past season I watched two games because I don't have time. I can't do both. If I have right. a moment, I do work on Avery Brothers things or that's I, I don't say, have time for everything. The mark of someone who a baseball fan that is kind of makes perfect sense. Someone who's into statistics, right? Someone <laughs> yeah. who's looking at right. averages, something that, that uh, you know, details don't go by a baseball fan. They, they, they catch every detail. They can, they, there's a lot of great, um, uh, discernment, uh, about things and, and a, a great knowledge of history and trends. 
Yes, that's that's good. Yeah, and you know, and each team has a history, and mm-hmm. yeah, stats has everything, and a similar thing. I think, yeah, I never really thought of it that way, but well, yeah. you know that, that I I have to say, like doing the podcast for me, it's that idea of being efficient, right? Or 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 taking classes uh, when you've got a job and you've got a family. It's a matter of uh, uh, okay, I got fifteen minutes. Right. How can I? And it's like you talk about Teddy Roosevelt. Like I remember reading a book about him and if he had 15 minutes or 12 minutes, he was reading. He was he'd pick up a book and be reading a book. He was always maximizing that time that that short, you know, when you have short spans of time that you can get things done about maximizing that that time. And it sounds like that is uh, uh, something that you do. That is what I do. I mean, I, you know, like, for instance, if you guys you know, because obviously I go through the past, but I keep track of everything now. Like if you performed a show last night, I would have woken up today. I would have made sure the set list that I have was correct. What's, you know, what if any changes were made from the pre-show set list, check all that. I would find out what, you know, I would check with fans. I would start collecting pictures. I would check YouTube, what were, what videos were posted from the show that I can link to the set list and save. So if anyone wants to know, you know, wants to see a performance and there's a video, they can just see it. And then, and then also, you know, just any other stories, was there any banter on stage, any stories about a song and I can put that with the song and when it was said, any kind of information like that. And also obviously days after show reviews before, did you guys do interviews with a local newspaper of where you're at? So I collect all of that. So, so are there people that, that they're really eager, they get out of a show, you didn't go to the show, they get out of the show and they're emailing you in 10 minutes with oh, their report? Yeah. I'll get, yeah, definitely. I mean, and I get it, at this point I get it just a ton. Like, so part of my day is also like, if I sit down and I'm okay, I got 10 minutes, go through every message, answer anybody's questions, you know, answer anybody, read everything. People just send me, yeah, people will send me set list, any stories, just and not even just about you guys, just fan stories, anything that happened. People just send me these things and I go through them and assign them. Like each show obviously has a folder and information about it in there. Have you ever had a situation where you get an email from someone who says, uh, Oh, this show in you know, Dallas last night it was amazing, it was the best show I ever saw. And then uh you ever and then somebody else sends an email says from the same show and they're like, Yeah, I don't know. I, they yeah. kind of phoned it in. <laughs> That normally, if that complaint is, it would be the complaint a uh, complaint of like the set list was similar to maybe uh-huh. the night before, and they wanted something more. You know, like that happens. But usually, when I talk to that person, it's because hey, maybe they've been to twenty shows this year, mm-hmm. and you know, so you know, maybe you know. <laughs> hey, I remember going to dead shows, and after you know twenty something, it's kind of like ah, oh, knocking on heaven's door, encore again, yeah. blah. You're walking out before it's over, and. You're like, oh, they played the same three songs again. Yeah, that, so that happened. <laughs> they were all 45 minutes long. <laughs> I will say, I will say, Tim, this past year, we kind of really focused on that, like where we were like, we're going to try to play, you know, I mean, I think it, there was a point where we began to add songs in, but there was a, a stretch where we really were like, we want to play not the same set, but, you know, have like, we're going to pl- always play these songs and then uh, wild card here, these songs, wild card here, because uh, this idea of like being really good. Yeah. You know what and I'm I, saying? Rather than yeah. just trying to play as many different songs, which we've done over the years, you know, and, and not really feeling, you know, you play, we've done songs, covers 
songs we we do one time. And I think, man, if we do that, if we did that every night, we would really nail that. You know, it's like it's the difference between like playing it and then the, it's fun for everybody. It's a surprise versus being proficient at it. And it's something I remind fans a lot when people, obviously this comes up a lot. I get a lot of set list questions, a lot of things like that. And my thing is things coming, it's going to come and go. You're going to have years that that's going to happen, but who knows what eventually, you know, a year from now, you know, things change. Yeah. I was kind of, I want to say two things. First of all, just to tag on what you were just saying, I can't imagine you get many phoning it in shows. Um, I've seen the Ava brothers play for like ever since they began and the thing about it is that they've always been good. They've always gotten better, but those guys practice for forever before every show. Like they don't just like walk on stage. Like you're looking at them and like, if I'm ever backstage with Dane or something, it's like, I don't see Bob for like a long time before the show because they're in a room playing music, getting ready for the show. And you guys like, like an hour is it like before every show. Yeah. We get together about, you know, and sometimes it's 45 minutes and there's like other, like if we have a commitment or a factor, we got to, you know, meet and greets and such. But, um, we try basically if we go on at eight twenty, we're meeting at seven twenty seven thirty to to run things you know run run over things. Yeah, it's also cool too. I would say that like watching you guys practice backstage in some of those basement rooms where they like the echoes, like the sound is really like it's different. It's pretty awesome. But I also wanted to say in terms of like Tim getting emails from people and information about shows, I witnessed the power of Tim Mossberger because Tim. I saw him at the, the, the benefit show in Winston-Salem and Kelly and I had walked outside of the venue and there was a little area to the left where there were some seats, but nobody could really see you there. And then Tim came over and he was walking around selling tickets to raise money and he ended up talking to us. I introduced Tim to Kelly. They started talking about archivist stuff. It was a great conversation. We maybe talked for like 10 minutes and then someone came around the corner and saw him and they're like, there you are. And it was like immediately like... Oh my God, I've got a question. And I, I, I could not remember the question. And I like just did, which was like, is Belladonna, was that like Scott's grandma's name or something? Yeah. And like, <laughs> that was the question, like out the gate. It was like, oh, there you are. I've got this question for you. Very specific question. <laughs> so is it, Tim? Is it? Hey, Tim, what's the most ridiculous question people have asked or, or ridiculous thing that people have thought? Because again, being a fan of, of the dead, you know, or Springsteen or, or Fish, you know, you, you, as a fan, there becomes lore and lore isn't always yeah. reality. What, yeah. what are some of the, the more, uh, obviously the, um, you know, that I'm friends you know, with the band or I know, or I get information. Like I can just ask any of you a question and which is not. The- <laughs> well, Tim, I did say to you before, I'm happy to help you. But I'm also, I, I also can. try not, you know, you've got things to do. Sure. And there's things I can accomplish. Sure. Thank, uh, well, thank I'm trying. you. Thank you. So, I mean, I, That's you right. know, but just mostly that, but I mean, most times it's just a lot of questions about the songs and people who don't, you know, who wrote this song, who, what is this line about? Do I know any of that information? And the funny thing is, is obviously when I tell them most of this information is all out there because it's in interviews, like that would be, the, you know, I've collected thousands of interviews and anything written about going back to as far as I can. And so if in a song, say they, you know, you they mentioned something about Belladonna, and I, you know, I save that and I can always go, I have all that information broken down by song, how many times they've played a song. Like for instance, here's something that I did that it just kind of worked out. Obviously Scott and Seth were on the, the Pete Holmes podcast and they talk about how we were mm-hmm. talking yeah. about, you know, moments 
that they remember about the song. They talk about 10,000 words and how during the expert, you know, all have their doubts line, somebody else, F the experts. Now, two weeks before that, yeah. I happened to just, because I'm crazy, I suppose, I went through every version of 10,000 words. I, there's, it's been played 64 times, but and I think I have like 50 versions mm-hmm. or so of, of when it was live and keeping track of how many times did Seth play electric guitar? Just that information, because people will ask that, you know, how many times has he played electric guitar? Because I've seen it. So mm-hmm, I have that. Mm-hmm. But going through that, I heard that moment. And I knew that date where a fan yells that. And obviously on the podcast, they didn't remember when it was. They just remember the story. No, but I was able to be no like, way. oh my gosh, this happened. Yeah. It was like Pennsylvania, March 3rd. And the videos on YouTube, you can hear the guy yell, F the experts. And, you know, that we see Scott Seth kind of laugh and chuckle. Yeah. And, and to turn around and say, Joe Kwan, quit yelling things. i'll tell you one time they were playing that song and you know it stops it stops and you know and we're we're backstage and we're kind of waiting you know to come back come back on and you know we're maybe we're talking or or whatever you lose track of time and they stopped and i got almost out on the stage i mean that's probably happened two or three times where anyway i always hate when that happens all right, so here's one thing that's interesting for me because, like, Tim, I actually think it's better that you you don't know these guys that well because it means that you you have oh, yeah, kind so of distance so, to it, yeah. right? For, uh, mm-hmm. More objectivity. I mean, obviously you're a fan, but, like, that gives you some distance. Um, what I'm interested to know, like, playing between you guys is, like, Tim, what do you think are, like, the three most important moments in the band developing over time? And then, like, how does that compare to what Bob thinks are, like, the three most important mm-hmm. moments in terms of the of the, of the band? I'd say, I'll say 2006 and 2007 are kind of together where they're still, you know, a little rough here and there. And then obviously at the end of 2006 and through 2007, Joe comes. So that's a whole new sound that changes from the band that you mm-hmm. would have seen if you saw them in the early years of what they become. You know, that's the the start, I feel like. Uh, but they're still kind of rough and, you know, at any point a song can, you know, stuff happens on stage, strings break and like a song, like, you know, a song's supposed to be three minutes, but a string breaks and all of a sudden it's four minutes because they just keep playing, you know. Like, and Dane's yeah. just on stage so, as much as the band members because he's running out there bringing them instruments. But I mean, but I think that that's to, yeah. when they, but they really started the, you know, the songwriting. At that point, there's a lot of songs. There's starting to be more songs to play. They're throwing in, you know, there's covers. You know, there's a pretty, and they go on tour with BR549 and for a significant amount of time, mm, that's, that's a bit, that's you know, big. and then, so on those shows, and then they start to play other shows and, you know, set lists are pretty, are a lot longer because, you know, early on when they're playing, they're opening for people, it's, you know, 10 songs, eight songs sometimes, set list. There's, you know, a show at like the mission is like 25 songs. So there starts to be more songs. And then next would be obviously, you know, a big moment, 2009 and the NPR, you know, tiny desk concert is always huge for fans. That is, you know, a big one along with the, the Bonnaroo laundry room performance. That was over 10 years ago. Oh my God. And then obviously then for every other than for fans would be May at last, obviously is a pretty big moment of, for everybody. So. Bob, what do you think? Does that fit your, well, uh, as far as the life of the band and be, the the first tour and the fact that on the first tour we booked NACA and NACA is like the national academic it's basically the, the student unions from all over the country oh, right, get together right, right. at this conference and so we're on this first tour and and which was a big thing and 
and but you know Scott and I both had grad school kind of on the horizon and then but while we're on this first tour we're going to Kinko's and we're we're submitting we're getting together this application for this conference of student unions it was the southern regional one and it was in Winston-Salem but his first colleges in the south and out of that we got you know probably 10 gigs or so that paid more money than we had ever you know we we were making 800 to 1200 dollars whereas we were making 50 to 300 dollars <laughs> and and those two things together gave us the 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 a the realization that oh we can do this uh and survive you know we can do this and eke out you know a living at least in the in the near term and then scott and i had this little thing like if we get Merle Fest, we're not going to go to grad school. And so we, we had, we were beginning to, even when I was still going to Winthrop, cause Scott was done ECU, but I was going to Winthrop and Seth was at uh, UNC Charlotte. And so Seth and I, we were on the road doing NACA and then doing the gigs. Cause once we did that, that small tour, we had to go back to those places like Chestertown, Maryland and such and Athens, Ohio. And, those gave us like little anchors of places that go that justified leaving. And then if you could tie a college gig to one of those gigs, it really made it worth it. And so we were going at one point weekly almost in that 2002, 2003 time period. And then when we got Merlefest, that was it. We knew that this is what we were going to do. So for me in as far as the life of the band and, and, you know, what got us, you know, rolling, I mean, we wouldn't have been doing it. We would, we, it would have been a, this thing that, cause when, when I was like, Hey guys, I want to book this tour. It was like, okay, you go ahead, but we don't think you're going to do it. <laughs> and, and it was, it was like, well, I was like, well, it, at least we'll have done it. It was kind of like, I started out as a thing. Like I've always wanted to go on the road with the band and, uh, we can have this experience and then we can go to grad school and that's cool. So, but you know, so, so first tour, NACA, Merle Fest, and then you, Tim's right. BR549, that was a big, a big thing for us. And what it, it made us have to do is hire more people. You know, we had to hire Justin Glanville who we hired to just help out. We hired Justin just to be, cause we had played the Delanaga art center in Georgia and he was like the house sound guy there and he had just graduated full sale. And, um, he's just like, Hey, if you ever, you know, I'll, I'll do anything for, you. I think Jerry Glanville was even like, you should hire my son. <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but we, we, we didn't imagine he would do sound. We imagined he would maybe someday do sound, but in the meantime, we didn't need it. You go to a venue, they got a house sound guy. Um, but we needed another, just like when we got Dane, we needed a set of hands. We needed more. We needed help. It was three of us. And then we needed, we had Dane. And so we added Justin and the first night of the BR549 tour, he did sound <laughs> and that, and he has ever since. And so that BR549 tour was our first, uh, kind of introduction to a real tour and it got us to new places, 
a little bigger rooms. We got to watch BR work and they were, you know, professional. Um, and so that, that was pivotal. I think bringing Joe in, of course, it changed the sound, right? It, we never had a lead guy. We never had a lead, uh, nobody playing ripping like Seth plays ripping lead guitar solos, but he never, he didn't do that. We didn't have anybody. I mean, for, for, you know, it was basically, we didn't have solos, right? We didn't really have solos. And so adding Joe kind of gave you that ringer soloist. Um, and it, it helped with the ballads creating this, uh, more of a refined depth of sound. And then I, I think the, the biggest thing, I mean, emotionalism kind of took us to a certain peak independently. Um, and a path that I think we could have continued on forever. But Rick Rubin was that because we had label interest, but we never had a something, nothing was ever worth being independent. Because, you know, Scott and Seth, they obviously they want to make all the decisions. At that, at that point, they want to make all the decisions themselves. We'd work with Bill Reynolds uh, and Danny Kadar on emotionalism. And that was the that was like this uh, production partnership so to speak. But, um, but Rick was the carrot on the stick to go to the major label. And, uh, and I, you know, I am loving you. I think things change kind of exponentially after that. So I would say those are for me, those were the biggest, the biggest things that, that allow us 20 years later to still be doing it. I, I it's funny for me. I remember I was at the Merle Fest show as before you and I knew each other very well, but I was standing out there watching with like absolute joy that you guys were doing it. And I remember it was like, I can't remember it was before or after the show. I was kind of standing to the side and like, I look up and like Seth sees me and I see Seth and I'm just like, ah, and Seth's like, come here, come here, come here up on the stage. I remember going up there and just giving like, give like shaking his hand and being like, dude, this is amazing. Like, I remember that being a, that, that. And then I remember when you guys did Conan, I remember Dane texting yeah, me. Yeah. And that was big too. That was like, I remember Dane being like, oh my God, we're doing Conan. Basically most of the stories that I know are like, Hey, oh my God, Rick Rubin just signed us. All the stories that I know about your band came through Dane. <laughs> like texting me. Okay. Well, well, Dane, Dane, Tim, I mean, Dane's a guy who, who, uh, who, who remembers, uh, names and dates and places better than the rest of us. Uh, so you need to get him before his memory starts to slip <laughs> <laughs> because the longer he's a tour manager, the, that's going to happen. I think that happens. Yeah, now he works for Roger now too. Couple. So, you know, it's only getting worse. Yes. Yes, that's right. So, Tim, you've been doing this for a while. Like, I remember discovering your website years ago and thinking it was like, wow, this is really cool. But like, because I think you have some Margot stuff up there or something. And somehow I was trying to find the, that tape a long time ago when I didn't think I had a copy of it. And I came across your website and I was like, wow, this is impressive. And it's gotten bigger and bigger. And like you're saying, we... Well, we're saying we have this conversation and you've got new software in that allows you to like bring information in. But it all started at some point where you were like, I'm going to start doing this. How, how did that happen? Well, obviously, I was a fan of the band. And then obviously, my wanting to know about songs and learn about the band that I like that, you know, just collecting interviews, saving things, and then just going to shows and like looking at the set list coming up and like just connecting with other fans and like just learning stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, I just started saving things. And then all of a sudden when people have a question, I could answer it. People would ask me again, you know, the question that's so why I just started saving more things. And then once I kind of found out 
just, you know, like reading an interview and then hearing them talk about, say, the first tour. Well, wanting to find out all the tour dates and how can I do that? Tim, wait, so hold on, Tim. I want to interrupt you just a, a minute. Where did we play in Madison, Wisconsin on the first tour? Um, it's the, oh my God. I mean, I know it. I mean, off the top I don't of my know it. I, I, okay, I, it's I, a know play, it. I can see it, but that's the one I don't have. And I have to go back again. I have these date books and, and eventually play the high noon, but it's no, the, no, it's no, way. It's that, no, it's not that, but you eventually play that. Right. It's, I know it. It's, you're going to as my life turns to a song.com. No, no, no. I'll go to the database is a lot easier to find. There's it. two it's is all that there. in there. It's Ken bars and grill. That's what it is. It's Ken's Bar and Grill. Okay. All right. Yeah. Back to your answer. I can see why you couldn't remember the name of that. That's a very common name. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember that. When I do remember a lot of things, but not, you know. Okay. So back to how I started. Um, and just saving lots of information. And then it got to a point where I felt like, you know, I don't know. And it was always talk with people, other fans like David Butler and other mm, fans of people. Yes. I want to get all of this together. Mm-hmm. And at one point I just said, well, I should do it because it needed to be done. I felt like just for, and part of the reason was because of the relationship I have with the fans. Like I'm an Avett brothers fan, but I'm also a huge fan of Avett brothers fans. Yes, me I too. Guess. You know, D- David <laughs> Butler was one of the earliest uh, collectors of, of things of yeah. ours. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. So David's always helped and supportive and just, you know, I mean, it, it just a bigger, it just needed to be taken care of. So I, I just started doing it. And then, like I said, the more I've done it, the more I have a system of saving things, tracking things down. And I try to do again, not only, I think what would differentiate me from say like people who follow Neil Young or the, you know, some of them would be my, I try to use the fans as much. Like it's, I care about the band and their story, but the fans story, mm-hmm. I try to put, save too. Like when something happens, to fans at a show Mm -hmm. or a memorable moment. Like I say those stories, you know, just things like that I do. So, I mean, it just kind of happened. And I, then all of a sudden I, here I am. I don't, it just, you know, and then the more people ask me something or I can do something, I just do it. Like, I don't know the answer. Well, try to go through everything and find it. Like, Hey, have they ever played? Like someone asked me, Hey, where have they played in Wisconsin on that first tour? Well, I would go through obviously every, the Madison, Wisconsin newspaper and try to find out <laughs> or ask anybody who may have been there. Okay. So the archival process, like, let's talk about this. So you're, you want to know where we played in Madison on, you know, on that first tour. So, so what, how, how do you search out these newspapers? Let, let people know, like how, what is this pro- um, actual process? Okay. Well, obviously there's the sites like newspapers.com that can do like a I use that a lot in my uh, history research. And then there's also just like, I can like in Madison, what are the newspapers? Mm -hmm. And then like on their site, if they're not in that, do they have their own personal archive? And then obviously you can email people and ask them for specific, like, so if you played on what that shows on July 23rd. So my thing would be the days before it and the days after and the day of, you know, obviously searching those newspaper and the entertainment section, obviously. And is there any mention of you guys and, or did you guys speak to anybody in interview, like I said, or a show review. And then also would be tracking down, you know, are there local music magazines that would maybe cover it? Now that comes a little more in play much later than 2002, you know, a little, you know, more often. And it's the same as, and then obviously I use the internet a lot. You can go back and I mean, if something's been on the internet, you can sometimes track it down. 
you know, like I went through the whole archive of like the creative loafing, Charlotte creative loafing mm-hmm. magazine. I went through everyone I could ever find to track down that, Hey, they used to play Thursdays at a coffee shop <laughs> in 2000. Yeah. And now I don't have any other information about that than so that. that, but like, that was, um, that was like a, uh, that building. I don't know if that's, we know the people that own that building that that's by the stadium, by the Panther stadium. And that was where we didn't play. We practiced there. Like we played there, but no one ever came there. Right. We, we practiced there and that was where songs like pretty girl. I remember specifically pretty girl from Matthews being worked out at that coffee shop. So, I mean, and then also I use like YouTube helps a lot. Like you can just basically I spend a lot of time will be spent on that. Like if there's a, that show, if I wanted to search for that show, I search in every possible way because if someone put it up on, you know, a clip from say 2005, you know, maybe they list the date, maybe they don't, maybe they list the venue or the town. So I just do searches every possible way, you know, and then check, you know, and then I can check by, Hey, what do you guys wearing or look like? If like, if there is no date, I can kind of piece together maybe when it was from, you know, and also contact the person, the YouTube video who put it up. So just all of those. And then obviously, like I said, your guys' interviews help me, you know, I can, even though when you guys get things wrong, you know, I can, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. get things wrong. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's always the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I love this. Also, like Tim, what you what you do is like, I don't know when when you get deep in research. The fun thing is like filling in all the gaps. Like we're doing historical research, and like like I got this from this source. Oh my god, there's a hole right here. I've got to figure out where this goes, and then you tag it over here and you find a new source. You're doing a lot of the most fun parts about being a historian, you know, which is like, and it's about something that you love. It sounds like a lot of work, but it sounds like a delight. It's good. And people, obviously fans appreciate it an awful lot. Like I, I can't even say how much they, you know, how often I get thanked or people try to send me things or do something for me. Like, and you know, and none of it's, I, none of it's necessary. I do it. I mean, I choose to do it. It's my choice. I mean, I could stop, but you know, but I'm happy to help people and I am passionate about the band, the music, and that's the other thing that's always helped me. Like, that's what I care about. I, you know, all, if it doesn't pertain to the music, I'm not that concerned. I'm concerned about the music. So what are the two or three most commonly asked questions that you feel? The, you know, from the album Mignonette, the turkey shit incident. Can I say that? Right? Oh, yeah. So that was when we were broke down on the side of the road. Yeah. John Causey. Yeah. yeah. John Causey. Now, yep. Yeah. Now the story, now the thing on that is that a fan seemed to say that he talked to Seth once a long time ago and said that, you know, Dane was changing the tire, mm-hmm. but I talked to Dane and, uh, and Dane says, no, well, you couldn't take, because it was the axle that was broken. Is we, okay. we, we broke but the Dane van. Says, Dane told me he wasn't there for it. Maybe he wasn't. I, said, I don't think he, said, he was. I don't think he, he was. He changed the tire on a show too. Cause my thing is I thought that that happened on the way to Winterville. It did. But, in, yeah. in the snow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And now Dane says another time you broke down on the way to Winterville and he changed the tire then is what Dane told me. I, that's, and I only talked to him for a few minutes, Dane. And that's what, and that's a question I get a lot that I don't have the whole answer to, but people love to answer that, ask that question. Okay. So, so we were this did, let me tell you this day we were going to Rocky Mount and we had a morning show in Rocky Mount at the Wesleyan college or university, whatever's there. 
And then we had like a Chico's Rocky Mountain at night. And then we had Winterville the next day. And I was coming from Rock Hill. And I was 20 minutes late. And Scott was not happy. And this is, I mean, this is early days. And John Causey went with us. And we get down the road another like 20 minutes. We get on the road. We're down the road about 20 minutes. And the van breaks down. And it's not fixable. It's like, it's, it's like the axe. It's not the tire. It's more the axle, something to that extent. Something's bent, can't be fixed. And that's when we were waiting for Jim to bring us the, probably the dually pickup truck, uh, their father, Jim. Uh, and that's when all that happened. And the, the Turkey truck drove by and, and you know, what ultimately I guess became uh, one line wonder. And then the other thing with Dane changing, we were all trying to change his tire. I don't remember if Causey was with us for this either, but it was, it was, there, there was snow on the ground and we were on 264 heading to Winterville. And we got a flat tire and we, you know, it took a while to get the, the tire changed. I remember at one point it did the jack almost come out. Something slipped and we were all there. Like we were all huddled up by the tire doing something. And then the, the van moved or something happened with the jack. We all like fell back, but we, we got that, we got it changed and we got to the gig very late, but we still set up and we played. So I remember that well too. Uh, any other questions? Mostly just about songs, you know. I mean, just people want to know information about the songs. That's all. Which, you know, sometimes I know, sometimes, you know, there's some things. And it's my thing of, I look at like this, like it, some people enjoy it. Like some people want to know well, everything. Some people, you know, but band, artists don't want to always give away everything. And I understand that. But I take a look at more as like, people do love a little glimpse. Like if you watch videos from like, I wish I was before May at last and after, Oh, the crowd response is massively different because mm-hmm. huh? they got to look at it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that, and I would like to think that I do that. Like when there, you guys do maybe mention information about like when Scott long time ago, you know, talked about writing November blue on fifth street in Greenville and just, you know, that's not really that much about the song, but you know, like people just want to know little things. And I just, you know, like, so I share that information with people when I find it and I know it. And I get that from talking to fans sometimes interviews, just that kind of stuff. Well, so as someone who followed the Grateful Dead uh, and did the traveling from show to show thing for for a few years, what is fan culture like uh, on the road with the Ava Brothers? I mean, there's a lot of love and nice people and people who just want to see each other and we laugh and we tell stories, just want to, you know, tell stories about when's the last show they saw, songs they can't wait to see. You know, we, there's, I mean, a, a large amount of people, you know, definitely sure in the thousands of people who know, thousands and thousands of people who know each other. And we do try to see each other. Like we try to meet up, people try to meet up before the shows, after the shows, just to talk about, you know, of course the band and the music, but other things and just, you know, funny stories and stuff that happens. And just, you know, it's truly a lot of kindness and good people. I mean, I'll share a story from, I wasn't even at the show, but this is another example of a story I saved that at the Red, when you guys played the Red Stadium after the baseball game in September, you know, there was a lady who was in a wheelchair that arrived late down on the field. Some fans saw her, brought her up, 
and like a, a fan, Michael, who, you know, danced with her, held her hand, they sang songs together, they cheered, they, you know, they hugged each other during the slow songs. And, you know, that's what happens. I mean, that's the majority of the people, you know, and that's my thing is like, I see that story and I get told that story, you know, and I save it and I know it's, you know, when it happened. And like, it's that show, I mean, it's not worth anything end of the day to the band exactly you know but it's a story that's of our community of people you know we, we see this reflected because um we'll be at venues and i've spoken to you know venue managers and they say um we love your people you have the best fans you have the nicest fans you know it's hard for us to put that in context because we're just one, like, this is all I know. This is the only band I've ever, like, yeah, I've been in bands, but this is the only experience like this I've ever had. And, um, you know, we've only been us on the road for all these years doing this. And, but it's really nice to hear that you hear like, you know, everybody, you hear the story coming from, from the venue. I mean, that's, they see bands all the time. And I think fans, Ava fans all the time also put others first an awful lot. I mean, I'm not seeing in every situation and everything, but like if somebody needed a poster because it was their first and someone got it and there was their 50th, tons of people just give it away in a second because it's someone's first show and we're happy that somebody who got to see them for the first time and maybe someone's seen them 40 times. And, you know, like people help each other out an awful lot with things. So that's always good to see. And that, I mean, that's another thing that keeps me going, I suppose, with my time, you know, using my time to do this is that, is to save these stories and you know things that happened and that's all so that's awesome ben you got a question uh not a question i would just say that i remember last year walking around at wolf trap when we recorded the road to now out there and i stuck around for the shows and like i just took a lap around during the show and like realizing how much everyone in that crowd was like holding hands or with family or just like loving it and it was like it, it's like I've always admired you guys as musicians and I've come to really realize like how, with the community that you guys have built around you, like how incredible it is. Like it just feels different than other shows. So that's my you know, perhaps third party input on it. It, it. it is an amazing thing. This is just an Avery Brothers fan podcast now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's, I just, I've thought for a while that it'd be important to have you on Tim, just because the idea of you're doing history, you're, you're archiving you're, you know, the sub, yes, the subject is, you know, I'm involved in the subject, uh, that you work so hard on. Uh, but, but it's, it's not any different than what Ben and I are doing, uh, or what we are, you know, you talk about using newspapers.com and like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have an interview. I've been working on research triangle park for my master's here for several months and, in the coming weeks, I'm going to have an interview with some pretty high level people there. And so it's like this idea of like, I've done all this research. Okay. Now I'm finally going to talk to somebody who can, who can help answer some of these or put some of these things together that I've been working on for so long. And, and, uh, it's, it's cool stuff, man. It's cool stuff, what you do. And it's appreciated. And I don't know what's obviously going to happen with it all. Cause like whatever you think I have, I mean, I have tons, there's like so much that I would like, I hope to get online and would like to share with people never be able to be able to see, like I just even on the database, I'm just now starting to get maybe some newspaper clippings so people can see, you know, like when you played show back in the day at a college and you could pay with, you know, your food plan. Mm -hmm. Like I have those newspaper clippings that say that, 
you know, and just that kind of information, trying to get it all up and just stories about the songs. I mean, it could be as simple as like the first time you played fiddle on August 22nd in mm-hmm. 2014, you know, just that information that people can find. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show and taking your time to do this. And, and thank you for what you do. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Road to Now. The Road to Now is hosted and produced by Bob Crawford and Dr. Benjamin Sawyer. This episode is edited by Gary Fletcher. And today's music, like pretty much always, is by the wonderful Paul DeFiglia. If you have not gone and rated us on iTunes, please do so. We need you to do that so we can spread the word about this podcast. Everyone who has, we say thank you. Speaking of thanks, we'd like to say a special thanks to everyone on Patreon who helps make this podcast possible. With a special shout out to our Washingtonians, Tanya Marsh, Mary Hawking, Paul Ayler, Tim and Caitlin Wells, Fig White, Jeff Lacane, Peggy Donica, Susan Sharp, Joseph Mann, Matt Williams, and Mariah Wolford. If you'd like to join our community of patrons and get lots of extra content, just go to patreon.com slash the road to now and pick a tier for as little as $5 a month. You get access to episodes one through 75, some extras, bonus content, and it only gets better from there. For Bob Crawford, this has been Sawyer. Thanks for listening and take care.